And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who always wants to know why it's so hot. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, that question, you know, when is it too hot? I'll be telling you when, because it's too hot now. And it's gorgeous, though. Uh, you know that uh, the Colonel and I are not on Milleronia today. We're back on the mainland, and I'll tell you why, too. But uh, it is gorgeous, and it uh, makes me very happy to be with you. And, in fact, that music, as you know, makes me very happy. That's, of course, the Harlan Ellison Orchestra and the Vivian Lee Dancers, featuring boy tenor Mike Lucking asking the musical question, If you can't prove a negative... How is it I know when someone has not taken a bath? Well, good question, Mike. And uh, by the way, you know, because we all know. I mean, uh, who doesn't know that? You know, I know, everyone listening knows. You just know. Who who doesn't know that when someone has not taken a bath in a long time? I mean, how could someone not notice that? I mean, what, what are the things that we have and do who doesn't know when the same person has moved his bowels and his pants five minutes ago? You know, who wouldn't know that? But yeah, you know what? Taking a bath, whew, that uh, I'll tell you what, that it reminded me, the Colonel and I were talking about this, that uh, of uh, the, the first and only time I was doing a show on a cruise ship. And there's a beautiful ship, a Swedish ship, and left New York. For four or five days, it went down to, I think, the Bahamas or something. Shouldn't I know where I was on it? <laughs> but uh, a beautiful ship with uh, nice people. And uh, when I got when I got on there, they were very nice to me. Very, uh, very gracious, very formal. And they assigned me, you know, they, everyone was just standing lined up in a very official order, the officers on the ship. And they assigned me to uh, a young woman who was an officer and she was they were all dressed in their dress whites and uh, boy she was uh, I'm telling you she was blonde and beautiful and well you don't really have to say all you need to say is Swedish and blonde I mean if you need more information than that I think you're in the wrong game but she was God bless her just beautiful and uh tall and lovely and strong and well as as pretty as anything i'd ever seen and of course by the way of course this is before i was married before i'd even met my wife and i as she she led the way to show me to my room and uh i said to myself self this is a woman perhaps over the next seven or eight days you could have a drink with or words to that effect and I, but, uh, you know, when she was, uh, and she had a, just a great accent, she said a couple of things, uh, welcome to the ship. And uh, I mean, the, the whole 
the whole moment of it, the whole show of it, the whole it was it was gorgeous. And she took me into my room, which was a very nice room. And she stood there. They're not uh, the hallways aren't huge when you go into your room, but it was very nice. And uh, she paused and, and nodded and uh, motioned for me to go by her there in, into the rest of the room. And so, so you're you're pretty close to someone as you sort of squeeze by there, folks. I'm telling you, I have never smelled something like that in my life. It was, it made a Russian weightlifter look like Pat Boone. And I'm, I mean, I'm telling you, this was, good Lord. This woman, never mind, hadn't taken a bath or shower in years on that ship or anywhere else. And uh, the, the uniform and she were, as foul as anything could be. And I'm telling you, and this is, and I'm a single man and she's gorgeous. And, uh, we didn't have a drink that trip. Not that, you know, uh, that something might have happened there or we might have gone out or held hands. I'll stop there. But I mean, that's something I never forgot. She was as beautiful as anyone I've ever seen. And I'm telling you, she smelled like the uh, second day of creation before anything got fixed. And just yikes. In fact, they, uh, they could have, God could have put her in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve would have both just said after meeting her, thank you, no. You know, uh, could she, she, could you put her in the next garden with the other couple? Because this is not okay. Well, folks, I'm telling you, I don't know. Whew, I hope she's, you know, been happy and uh, successful as an officer and maybe, you know, met someone to, to fall in love with. Maybe someone, a very handsome Swedish guy who smells a lot like her. Maybe they could just say, hey, da, 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 da. you know, that's the guy for me. Well, at any rate, Mike, though, I'm telling you, though, how is it I know when someone is not taking a bath? I knew then, and you all know. And uh, when someone, wow, boy, you meet a guy in an, it's in an elevator or at a business meeting, or we, come on. There's, there's only one thing that'll straighten that out, folks. Lava. Hot lava. That's right. I think that, that should be an immediate, I'll, I'll tell you what I would do on Milleronia. That's volcano number one immediately. And uh, we wouldn't even walk her or him to the to the volcano. That's something where you just have to get a long pole, push someone along with a net, and say, you know what, get in. Even the lava, as he went down, even the lava would say, okay, that's crazy. That's, like, not all right. At any rate, good question, Mike. And uh, I mentioned the great Harlan Ellison as our orchestra leader today. And, you know, sometimes we overuse, especially, well, in show business, we overuse the word great. But not for Harlan Ellison. God bless him. He was 84, a great writer. And among many, many other things, he uh, wrote the uh, very famous novella, A Boy and His Dog. He also wrote a famous Star Trek episode that I'm sure you'll know it was called City on the Edge of Forever. And it's an episode where they go back in time. The colonel and I were just talking about it. 
They go, which I always love, by the way, on Star Trek or any show. Well, they went back in time. Why not? You know, who? if you sit there saying, hey, wait a minute, how did they go back in time? Just shut up and watch the show. But they do. They go back in time to the 1930s on Earth. And Joan Collins is a very well-known peace activist in America, in New York. And uh, she's really getting even better known every day. And, uh, well, Captain Kirk finds out that if because he he knows through Mr. Spock and those, not the tricorder, but through those things they carry that, that if, because uh, she's going to be killed, they realize, in a car accident, in a truck accident, truck's going to hit her on the street. And Captain Kirk, though, has fallen in love with her. And she's fallen in love with him. And he doesn't want to lose her. But if she doesn't die right there, the way she did in all of history, if she, if she doesn't die right there, she will succeed. And her peace movement will keep the United States out of World War II and Hitler will win. And, well, you can figure out the rest from there. First of all, the number of delis would drop significantly. And uh, But it's a great episode. And Joan Collins uh, has always been a, just a great actress. And, well, I love Star Trek anyway, but Harlan Ellison wrote that. A City on the Edge of Forever. And uh, he always had a great line. He referred to storytelling as a holy chore. Well, that's as good as anything I've ever heard. And it was worth and important mentioning his name. God bless you, Harlan. And thanks for so much wonderful work. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. What a wonderful group. You know that, you know what, PayPal, if you enjoy my show, and why wouldn't you, 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 and you'd like to send a few bucks here and help us out, and why wouldn't you, you can do it through PayPal. But I'll tell you, instead of saying donate or pay what you like, I always like to say buy us some drinks. That's uh well that's a good way to contribute also, you know, and that's a good thing to to call it and because uh there are different levels, level 1 through 5, all the way up to We're driving to Florida. <laughs> I love that guy. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, by the way, look for PayPal on our website. Look for their banner. We have one on our website. You can get there a hundred different ways. Come to our website and we'll get you there. And our website, of course, is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. That always makes me laugh and I always forget about it. It's very nice. Uh, so do that. PayPal's a great group, and uh, thank you, by the way, because every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. Thank you to everyone who's contributed already, and uh, thank you to the folks, all of you, who are saying, you know what, maybe I'll contribute this time too, and I'll uh, I'll click that banner on their website. And everything matters. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. 
Wow, and this is a good one, too. Uh, the Colonel and I both got a kick out of this, and I hope you do, too. Uh, there's a pub in Ireland and uh, in Dublin, and there's uh, two fellas sitting there uh, one night, and uh, the, the, one of them looks over at the other. They're sitting at the bar, and one looks at the other and says, you know, I'm uh, sorry for staring, but you look familiar to me. I just, uh, and uh, and the other one says, uh, well, I'm uh, from here, from Dublin. And, and the first guy says, oh, you're not. Well, me too. I don't know. What do you like that? That's a good coincidence. That's that's fun to know. And uh, well, where did where did you grow up? What street? And uh, the guy says uh, Cleary Street. And the first one says, "No, that's a me too. I grew up on 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 Cleary Street. And where did you go to school? St. Mary's, of course. Me too. I went to St. Mary's. Good Lord, this is you know what is this is." This is astonishing. What year did you graduate? 64. 64. This is astonishing. All right. I graduated in 64 as well. This is, the Lord must have had something in mind when he brought the two of us here to sit together tonight in this nice pub. And uh, the bartender kind of shakes his head walking away. And uh, a third fellow comes in and sits down at the bar and sees the bartender shaking his head and said, uh, well, hey, Mike. What's uh, what's up? You look a little uh, you you look a little annoyed there. And uh, the bartender says that uh, ah, it's going to be a long night. Why? What? The Murphy twins are drinking again. <laughs> well, the Colonel and I got a kick out of that one. <laughs> That's a pretty good joke. And they and by the way, I love the word again in there. This isn't the first time they've acted like this, whatever this is, and they're together, and they, well, they that's the pub they like, so Mike the bartender has seen plenty of it, and it's no fun for him to have to watch again that they just don't quite remember that, uh, well, they're twins for crying out loud, for one thing, and that they keep knowing the same things. Uh, that's why that line also makes me laugh again. You know, if you don't mind my saying, you you look familiar to me. And uh, where did you grow up? <laughs> In any case, as always, if you like that, please pass it along to a friend or family member. Any any uh, loved ones there? And uh, well, we certainly <laughs> we sure loved it here. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. That's beautiful music. And I love, I've said this before, but I'll be saying it again. I love having poetry as part of the show. And uh, reading things to you has been very meaningful. I always thought that even when I was a kid. Hey, if I have a show, I think I'm going to bring poems on it. And uh, this is a good place and a good one to have with this. It's by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And that's one of the names, by the way, not only a great poet and a great artist, a great American, and all the things he brought forth in the 19th and early 20th century, but by God, folks, 
and uh, he wrote uh, this one called A Psalm of Life. And here it is. Tell me not in mournful numbers life is but an empty dream, for the soul is dead that slumbers, and things are not what they seem. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end or way, but to act that each tomorrow finds us farther than today. Art is long and time is fleeting, and our hearts Though stout and brave, still, like muffled drums, are beating funeral marches to the grave. In the world's broad field of battle, in the bivouac of life, be not like dumb-driven cattle, be a hero in the strife. Trust no future, howe'er pleasant. Let the dead past bury its dead. Act! Act in the living present, heart within, and God o'erhead. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime, and, departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. Footprints that perhaps another, sailing o'er life's solemn main, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother, seeing shall take heart again. Let us then be up and doing, with a heart for any fate, still achieving, still pursuing. Learn to labor and to wait. Isn't that lovely? Longfellow, God bless him. Boy, the colonel and I have mentioned before, that's one of those names, you kind of have to be a poet. With a name like that, you can't tell your folks that, you know, I'm thinking maybe a plumbing would be a good field for me. Well, maybe it would, but no. Have you looked at your name? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. That's, that's, a, that's a poet's name. So that's what you're going to be. And uh, there's one today, though. There's another poem today. That, that poem I just read you, a, a Psalm of Life by Longfellow, was not only famous, but it was very famous. It was hugely famous among everyone in our country and all, all over the world. But that's something we don't remember, that poetry and art and things like that could be hugely well-known, really move people. One painting could do something that actually got around whole countries. But that's what a psalm of life by Longfellow did. It was so well known that this second one is called A Parody on a Psalm of Life by Oliver Wendell Holmes. So listen to this. Life is real, life is earnest, and the shell is not its pen. Egg thou art and egg remainest was not spoken of the hen. Art is long and time is fleeting, be our bills that sharpened well, and not like muffled drums be beating on the inside of the shell. In the world's broad field of battle, in the great barnyard of life, be not like those lazy cattle, be a rooster in the strife, 
Lives of roosters all remind us we can make our lives sublime, and when roasted, leave behind us hen tracks on the sands of time, hen tracks that perhaps another chicken drooping in the rain, some forlorn and hen-pecked brother, when he sees, shall crow again. Well, isn't that nice? Can you imagine that, the way folks used to live? Because when, when I'm saying it was a famous poem, that a psalm of life by Longfellow was famous, that means everyone, street sweepers, presidents of corporations, everyone knew it and really loved it. So Holmes thought, you know what? Let me write a parody of it. And that's what you just heard. And that's why the Poetry Corner is, well... So engaging for me, and I, I hope for you too. And the uh, the colonel found that, that was, there was a parody of that. So thanks to him too. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. The Magic Movie Moment. And this is a great one. It's from 1941. A wonderful movie called That Hamilton Woman. Directed by Alexander Corda, starring Laurence Olivier, Vivian Lee, Gladys Cooper, so many others. What a cast. And Laurence Olivier, well, the great Laurence Olivier. And Vivian Lee had just been married. And this is their first of, I think, three movies they made together. But boy, oh boy, it's a good one. It's during the Napoleonic Wars, and Olivier plays Lord Nelson, the, uh, the one of the greatest heroes that Britain ever made, and a sea hero who became an admiral. He was so successful. What a what a great warrior! What a great admiral! And uh, in fact, uh, one of uh, Lord Nelson's great principles about battle at sea was. Forget tactics, just head straight at them. And that really became embraced by all his naval people. And he had lost his right arm in battle, but still kept fighting and serving. And aboard his flagship with that sleeve pinned to the rest of his uniform. And he had an injury on his eye. and that. uh, But the, the whole point is... It's a great life of Nelson's and a great movie because that Hamilton woman was a woman that he had an affair with. This is historical. And he was married but had an affair with her. And she was married and had an affair with him. And they fell for each other. And the woman Vivian Lee plays was, well, she was a courtesan. And... uh, And that's kind of a fancy word for saying she was with men for money and to be supported by them. And this this is a story of, well, it's a good title for it, that Hamilton woman, because the rest of the population, Lord Nelson was a great hero in in Britain. And, uh, And yet he loved this Hamilton woman and she loved him. And whenever he was back in England, they lived together in a house. 
and uh, not a fancy house, by the way. That doesn't. That sounded strange. They lived in a house. Oh wow, that's crazy. That's wild. But this is a great movie, folks, and uh, and worth seeing. Please do that. A story that not only with Olivier and Lee as newly married people in real life, but uh, two beautiful, great artists. And this is a story, the part of the story that I'm thinking of before the Battle of Trafalgar, which is they were at war with France and all of Lord Nelson's ships are ready for a very big fight. And, well, he got them all together and sent down from his flagship orders in semaphore where the those little square flags began to come down on uh, the top mast there and tell the other ship commanders what to do. And it's very well directed by quarter and very well blocked because what they do is all the sailors on all the ships are, of course, looking up at these semaphores coming down. And what it says is, England expects every man to do his duty, which is a nice thought, but it says it in a very moving way. They show different groups of sailors, and from, well, from sailors and gunmen to officers, everyone on all of those ships, and they show them all looking up in little groups, three or four officers on a, on a quarter deck, and they look up and you hear the first part, England expects one of them is reading as they come down. Then there's a cut to the midshipmen who were almost always eight or nine years old and ten years old. And the midshipmen say the line, every man, one of them reads. And that's so moving that they, they're fighting too. England expects every man. And then it cuts to another group of three or four fellas to do... And then it cuts, I think the final one is so, in, it's just great, four or five, well, gunmen, below decks, sailors who really fight the fight. And they, they're the ones who swing over also after somebody gets blown up and, that sh- and the ship is just sort of sinking. They swing over onto the ship and they've got their swords and, well, whenever anybody asked, how did England rule the world? That's how. Men like that. And so the last line, England expects every man to do, then they cut to them, four or five of those fellows looking up, his duty, someone reads. And boy, there's one big fella with mu- with muscles and a kind of face that's seen many battles. And he looks up, nods, and it's a nod of just, that's right, we'll do it. And they will, and they did. And that was that battle was also the death of Lord Nelson. Uh, and he was heard many times below deck. One of the uh, French Marines had from the uh, from the uh, tops of one of the masts had fired and hit him, and a, a, a bullet went down into his left shoulder into uh, his heart there. So it was a mortal wound. And below decks, as the ship's doctor and a friend or two of his were there 
tending him and holding him, Lord Nelson kept saying, Thank God I have done my duty. And he sure did. At any rate, though, that scene always moved me and always made me think. I've never forgotten it. England expects every man to do his duty. And the way it was filmed, and those eight or nine-year-old midshipmen saying, every man is as telling, if you're not, if you're not, if your eyes aren't wet, when you see that, I'm afraid they're never going to be. A great movie about a great man, that Hamilton woman. And, uh, well, they were, they were certainly hot below decks there. And I'm saying that also because the weather, I mentioned this before. See, the weather here in Los Angeles and the whole Southern California area has been hot for the last week or so, week and a half. Now, I'm not just saying that. I'm not giving you a weather report. I'm saying it's hot. I mean, it's crazy hot. It's It has been and still is hot. I mean, hotter than it reminds you. This is a desert around here. The whole of Southern California is essentially a desert. We don't think of that and we don't remember it, but well, no one ever knows it, but it really is. And today is crazy, but so hot. I mean, as Colonel Jeff was saying that, you know, last Friday was 115 to 117. I mean, that's come on temperature. So around here, it's like a summer home in Iraq, you know. It's just it's just nuts. It's so hot. It reminded me of my, my boyhood days on Long Island on the East Coast. Well, Long Island was hot. Also, I mean, it was just hot. You you just didn't know about it. So in the summer, we would go to the beach. My mom and my sister and I would drive. My dad would be at work and the three of us, my mom, my sister, and I would drive to one of the beaches on the south shore of Long Island, the Atlantic Beach Strip. Seacliff was the name of that place. We loved it. We were there every year for oh, like 14 years. And my job, my family job, was to open the windows, roll down the windows on our 61 Chevy, which was a four-door hardtop, to take us to the beach. And uh, family jobs are fun, by the way. They, you know, I loved that one. It was, it was one of my family chores. And uh, so to roll down those windows about 45 minutes before we would leave, because it was hot. It was over 100, and it was 105, 108 and uh, we didn't have air conditioning in the car. Cars, that was before cars had air conditioning. Every car, even whether it's cheap or expensive, every car has air conditioning today. But in those days, no cars had air conditioning, and we didn't have it. And uh, it was great. That was our first new car, 61 Chevy. But uh, I remember sometimes the four of us with my dad uh, would be on the throughway heading to someplace a little upstate New York, and sometimes we'd see a newer or a fancier car on the throughway with its windows closed. And that was really something because we knew that meant they had air conditioning. And that was still new enough to make us go, whoa. We weren't mad. We weren't jealous of anyone. But we were thinking, wow, I wonder what that feels like. Because when we got in, when I, after I'd opened the windows, we'd get in the car, and no one complained because... Complain at what? It's very hot. We get in the car and open, you know, anyone who's curious should know 
opening the windows 40 minutes before you leave does very little. It does, in fact, it does nothing. But that's all right. You've got to do something. Move the air a, a little bit. I don't think it did anything, though. And uh, and I remember, though, our next car was a 68 Chevy Impala. We were a Chevy family. And this was a two-door hardtop with a vinyl roof and vinyl seats. And <laughs> And let me tell you something. Those seats got hot, super hot. I mean, hotter than the 61 Chevy was sort of like lawn chair webbing on the seats. It was regular seats. That was Chevy seats. But by 68, they had vinyl seats, and this was a two-door car. And those seats, I'm telling you, it was like climbing into an oven and sitting on the grill. It Those seats were so hot, and... Uh, we it had air conditioning, but that didn't matter either because you'd get in. We turn the air conditioning on, of course, and, vroom, and it would just blast for the half hour it took us to get to the to the beach, and that's fine. We were happy. We we weren't complainers. But I'll tell you what, when uh, when you've been sitting on those vinyl seats for a half hour, whew, your clothes were soaked when you got out, and I don't mean a little damp. I mean soaked. And it was, you felt like you were picking coffee for Alex Agente. And I'm telling you, and the seats were soaked too. Soaked. Those seats were not just a little damp. They were running with human sweat. And, well, again, that's fine. We weren't complaining, but you got out and you kind of just, whew, it was, it was unbelievable. It's like you're something again in Central America. Your clothes are soaked. The seats are soaked. And uh, by the way, Colonel Shepherd said he remembered that when they were uh, kids, when he was a kid, all the other kids used to say it was the same thing. They didn't have air conditioning, but they used to say that their cars had what they called 455 air conditioning. And that meant you roll down all four windows and go 55. And that was your air conditioning. But that's fine also, because I want to underline again, no one was angry. No one was mad. And, uh, you know, people just knew it was so hot. Do you remember those old pictures of movie theaters in the 1940s, those photographs when all the theaters had those banners out front hanging down that said, Air Conditioned. And the banners were written, they were dark blue, if I remember, and they were written, in quotes, in frozen letters. They made them look like they had made those banners in Alaska. And so it's, when it said air conditioned, the air conditioned letters were like icicles. And you know what? I'll bet in the 1940s, I think that was probably great advertising. That brought people in there. What movie's playing? Who cares? It's air conditioned. You know, it's it's July 19th, it's August 1st. Come on, let's get in there. It's air-conditioned. And uh, Colonel Jeff remembered that uh, there was a whole story about that the jazz clubs in Harlem were never air-conditioned, and they couldn't even open in the summers because people wouldn't go. It was, well, again, it was like it was an oven in there in the middle of summer, and every year... And the same thing happened every year to all these clubs. Every one of the clubs would uh, suddenly just 
catch fire and burn down. Astonishing. What a coincidence. And the owners, he read one case, the owners would say to the drummer, you know, uh, hey, how are your drums doing? Oh, fine, boss, fine. Uh, yeah, why don't you take your drums home tonight, just in case? What? Just in case? No, the drums are fine. Take your drums home tonight. And the guy would say it was two in the afternoon. All right, so he took his drums home. And that night, well, Marvin the Torch came by and burned the place down. By the way, Marvin the Marvin the Torch was uh, one of Jimmy Breslin's characters. The great Jimmy Breslin, too. My God, what a wonderful writer and a personality. What a presence he was. But he created this, an arsonist he called Marvin the Torch. And he said that one time Marvin said to him, uh, hey, come on by tonight. Uh, I want to show you. I got a job, and but I'm making it special. And uh, Breslin, when they met, they went up to the roof of a building across the street from this place that Marvin was uh, hired to burn down. And at 8 o'clock at night, and 8 o'clock comes, nothing. Nothing happens at the place. Jimmy looks at the guy, well, what happened? It, it broke or something, you know? And the, and the guy, and Marvin just said, wait, wait. And another, you know, it says now it's 8.20, 8.25, and Breslin looks at him again and says, what is, what's, what's wrong here? And wait, wait. And about a quarter to nine, suddenly the entire place just erupts in flames and a huge mushroom cloud. And Marvin turned to Jimmy and just proudly said, nuclear. <laughs> so, and I remember, by the way, our classrooms in elementary school were baking hot also because they didn't have air conditioning in either. And every year, every year in April, May, and June, the rooms would toast up. Whew, I don't know about you guys. And all the teachers and the kids in our elementary school would just sit there Sweating, you couldn't breathe. And you know how hot it was? I remember washing the blackboards, which is another chore for elementary school kids. So after, you know, every day you'd take, they were big sponges too. They were industrial sponges. And you'd take them and you'd had a bucket of water and you'd wash those boards. You'd first of all erase all the writing on it. Then you'd wash them and, whew, you know, and you know how hot it was though? Those boards would dry before you even finished the first row of washing. When you got by just three-quarters of the way through the first row on these big blackboards, you could look back, and it was dry. It was, the, everything was, it was just barely little dots of wetness that you had just hit with a dripping sponge. That's how hot that was. But around here, it's a little nuts. Last Friday was 115, as I mentioned. It was the colonel called it. That was sci-fi hot. And whew, my wife grew up here. My wife is one of the 11 people actually born in Los Angeles. Because everyone else is like, well, me and Colonel Jeff. Everyone just moves here. And she knows. She doesn't think it. She knows it's far hotter than it was when she was a kid. And uh, I remember I, I had mentioned this at one point to you. My father... And his twin sister and their older brother, Dickie, slept on their fire escape in Brooklyn, where they grew up. And it was about, 
the fifth floor, walk up, and they, you know, they, well, they slept on the fire escape. And I thought, when my dad told me that, I thought, wow, like James Bond. It wasn't like James Bond, but everything to me at that age was like James Bond. Well, I'm probably wrong there. I don't think, I don't think James Bond slept on fire escapes. But in any case, you know what? And in fact, my dad was going to drive me out there to look at that. I kept saying to him, can I, can I see where you slept on the fire escapes? And uh, as we were driving, I'll never forget, he said to me, you know, we didn't want to do this. That, that was his, and he kind of smiled and I said, what? Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. I guess you didn't, this wasn't like a, a big treat to sleep, he said, on the fire escape. But it was, there was no air conditioning, there was no fan, there was nothing. In the apartment, they had just a big walk-in apartment that wasn't so big. It was tiny, and it was very small. And they, uh, But that's the way it was. Summer came, and the three kids would be uh, out on that fire escape to sleep. And they weren't the only ones. And, and then at all those alleyways, those between whew, dozens and dozens of apartment houses, everybody's kids were out on the fire escape because they would go through the same thing. So the kids would wave to each other and say goodnight. So you know what? By the way, Milleronia, as you know, is perfect weather because I create the weather and I insist that it's always perfect and it's always 71 degrees and just gorgeous. And it never gets too hot because I control it. Now, when I'm back here, though, on the mainland, I've written to our local councilman and, and mayor offering to fix the heat here, fix the heat. If they just put me in charge of it, I haven't heard back from them, which makes me angry. Hmm. Well, they're lucky we don't have any volcanoes here, right, folks? Otherwise, guess who'd be in one? <laughs> well, you know what, though? I know what it's like to be hot, and so do you. And it's not the end of the world. We know the same things. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. So be well and be cool. And we'll see you here next time. <laughs>